we've been going through Romans chapter 9. We're actually at the end of chapter 9, last three verses, and then we're jumping into 10. So I'm kind of excited because 10 is kind of a, it's more of where we are here in this room than we are 9 and 11. So we pick up 11 here in a couple of weeks, but this gives me a breather today because we, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the sovereignty of God and how the sovereignty works and God choosing the Israelites to be his chosen people. His chosen people, not that they receive salvation, but they be the people group that the Messiah comes through. That's a major understanding right there about God's sovereignty. I wish of all the things... There's always a couple of things I wish I could explain, but I have a hard time explaining what it means to walk by the Spirit, because I think for everybody in here, it probably looks a little bit different. To be able to explain God's sovereignty, Phil, about Becky, I don't know how to explain God's sovereignty in that situation. That's because he's God. And he is able, as we've just read in Romans 9, to be able to do that. I, <laughs> we now are getting into uh, the human responsibility. He, he goes from God's sovereignty to more of the human side of things, which le- leads me to believe that we do have free will that we've been talking about. I have said this illustration before, and I'll say it again, but to me, I think it's the best illustration, and I'm willing to put myself out there in saying this, that I watch Dancing with the Stars. <clears throat> hey, hey, if Emmett Smith, you know, can, it's like, but to me, watching this thing is, one, the celebrities are chosen, to be on the show and they sign a contract and they actually in their own free will say yes I'll be on the show and then they get assigned a professional dancer and that they hang out with that professional dancer and they get to know them they eat with them they hang out with them they practice I don't know how many hours a day but then the show actually starts like three or four weeks later and the celebrities are terrible like they you know their scores are typically like five and six by the judges and things like that but then the more they hang out with the professional the more they learn the professional and the professional learns about them and they become more in sync and and the celebrity is out there making choices on the dance floor and they make mistakes they mess up the dance. They forget stuff. But it's the professional's responsibility to make it all look good. And so they cover up for the choices and mistakes that the celebrity makes as they dance. And they literally, as the weeks go along, they enjoy being out there together. There's this bond about them just dancing together and enjoying it. And even in the finals, they're still making mistakes, but the professionals covering it up. And I 
I believe that's the closest that I can come to explaining our walk here on this earth with my heavenly Father. That I'm going to continue to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to probably make fleshly choices. It gets better as we go. It really does. It gets better. And it becomes more enjoyable and we become more intimate with each other. That's, you heard me say that I get intimate with my Heavenly Father. And it's just a joy. And he's, he's constantly adjusting his sovereignty as I dance with him. It's probably the best illustration I have for sovereignty. Although I can't truly explain it. But we get to the end of chapter 9, and Paul says this to the church at Rome. This is, he's literally talking to Israel in their, their, their present state. He says, what should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness. Namely, the righteousness that comes from faith. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. In other words, they didn't receive the law. Who did God give the Ten Commandments to? He gave it to the Jews. He didn't give it to you in this room. God did not give the Ten Commandments to you in this room. He gave it to the Jews. He gave it to them back in Deuteronomy. The Gentiles, they didn't get the law. They weren't told what was important to God. But they received righteousness. They were made righteous, and it says, simply because they believed. This is big, you guys. This is big. They didn't have to do anything but believe. Just like if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, and it says, Abraham believed God, and he was credited righteousness. He wasn't made righteous, but he received credit for being righteous because he believed God that God was going to send a Messiah. What's different for you in this room right here is that you came after the cross, Abraham was before the cross, and so he was only credited righteousness. But you came after the cross, and once you believed that Jesus was the Messiah, you were made righteous. You didn't just receive credit. You were made righteous. Listen to me. It's not that God is reflecting his image on you. He has literally made you righteous. That's you in this room. I'm not seeing a reflection. I'm not seeing, oh, it's Jesus' shadow. He's made you righteous. You're sitting next to righteous people. And then he says, verse 31, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. If you go back to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The purpose of the law 
was not to make the Jews righteous. The purpose of the law was to show them that they were not righteous and that they needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior. That was the whole purpose of the law. But what did they receive it as? They received it as if we can do these ten things, they were good. Well, how did that work out for them? That didn't work out so well. They weren't really made righteous because of the law because they couldn't keep the law. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. It didn't happen. Verse 32, it says, well, why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. (laughs) First of all, you have to say here, they didn't do it by works, it comes by faith. So one, you have to recognize that faith is not a work. It's not something we work at. Faith is a decision that you made to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And then it was something that God gives to you. My initial response was, I need a Savior. And once that was done, he is responsible for my faith. He, my faith comes from God. Your faith comes from God. So he says there's a stumbling stone. Guess who the stumbling stone is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the stumbling stone. So you ask the question, well, well if Jesus is, is coming to be the Messiah, why did he even give the law? Was it a snare? Was it a trap for them to fall into? No, it's like we said. It was given for people to realize that they can't attain the law in their own strength. They just can't do it. So for hundreds of years, the law's out there, not only the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, but the 613 laws in Leviticus. Jesus comes along and he doubles down on the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever read, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he doubles down on everything and increases the law that the Pharisees were living by. And he's saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is red letters. Red letters in your Bible, that means Jesus said it. But you can't do it. It, it, It's impossible. It's the purest form of law that there is in the Scripture. People have literally tried to live by the Sermon on the Mount, and it's impossible. You can't do it. And Jesus said, Okay, now that we've shown you the Father, myself, and the Spirit, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. My blood's going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And then I'm going to be buried and raised from the dead. I'm going to go up, sit by the Father. The Spirit's going to come and he's going to move inside of you. And if you choose to, we'll do this life for you. Because you've already proven that you can't do it in your own strength. That is good news for you believers in this room. Once you can figure out that uh, you can't do this in your own strength, and that you have to, when, when people come to me with crisis, which is like on a regular basis, they're in a good spot with crisis. 
because they're coming to the end of themselves. And then you have to go, all I've got is this right here. I have to trust this. This has to be true. I have to let God live my life for me because I've done it the other way and it doesn't work. That's literally what he's saying right here. They need a Savior and the Savior will do it for them. I always say that uh, I made Jesus the Savior and the Lord of my life. He saved me from my sinful nature not necessarily my sins, but just my sinful nature because that's what I received from Adam. His blood was poured out, and he forgave me of that. But the fact that I've made him the Lord of my life, Lord literally means boss. He became the boss of my life. And so I listened to him. I listened to him. You see... uh, Here's the thing. No one's going to deny that there are many mysteries that are connected with the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility side of it. There, there's two different things, and we get into arguments about it and well, discussions about it and debates about it and theological discussions about sovereignty and free will. But there's nowhere in here where God ask us to choose between these two truths. They literally both come from God and they're part of God's plan. The sovereignty and the free will is all part of God's plan. And you can't really separate the two. They don't compete. They literally cooperate together. Verse 33, it says, As it is written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. He's literally, Paul is literally quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come when Isaiah has said this. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to provide this cornerstone who will become a, a stumbling stone. The way you view it is the Jews have been running this race where Christ is the finish line. He says, it's finished, it's done. So they're running this race, Christ is the finish line, but they've been looking at the law that was pointing them to the finish line. They're looking at the law, the law is saying, look, Jesus, he's the end of this right here. If you just get to the end and realize that it's all said and done when he's there. The problem is, is they're looking at the track and not looking at the finish line. They keep looking at the law, and they've literally ran past the finish line, and they're still running. They missed the Messiah. They missed it. They're still running that race and trying to do good and do the law and it's not much different than most believers today. They're still hearing the law and getting that mixed message of the law plus grace. And when literally Jesus is like, no, it's done, it's finished, it's complete. I did it on the cross. 
So that stumbling block for the Jews, Paul's literally saying to them, he's like, you realize back in chapter 9, he's like, I would give up my own eternity with, with God for them to figure this thing out. He loves them so much, and he's just saying they've totally missed this. Paul's calling out his own people. What God provided as a foundational stone literally became a stumbling stone to his peers. I think we probably need to remember this truth about Jesus being the foundational stone in, in seasons where it just seems like God's forgotten us. Like, if there's one thing Becky needs to know is that Jesus is the foundation. She knows that. She absolutely knows that. I think if we figure that out, it's the fruit of the Spirit that will uh, just rise to the top in this group. Let's get into Romans 10 real quick. Not real quick. Chapter 1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I want my brothers and sisters, my Jewish brethren, to know the Messiah. Their problem is is they didn't think they had a need for salvation because God had given them the law. And we're just able to do the law. We have sacrifices. We do the system that God's told us about in the Old Covenant. We don't need the New Covenant. Verse 2, it says, I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You've heard this said so many times. There is a huge difference about knowing about God versus knowing God. Knowledge, knowledge, Scripture says, knowledge is puffed up. You can have theological debates. You can know all the verses and everything else, but unless you really know God... This information doesn't even matter. And that's what's happened with the Jews and the Pharisees. They knew the law. They had it memorized. They knew God. Since the Babylonian captivity, they had pretty much given up idolatry, and they'd built these temples, and they were making these sacrifices, and they were doing everything that God asked them to do. They even created more laws, which is that big old book of the Mishnah. They created more laws to protect themselves. They were all about the law. They were all about the knowledge about God. And verse 3 says, since they are ignorant, <laughs> Paul just, he says they're ignorant. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. You see, the whole time the Jews were thinking that the Gentiles had to come up to their level, when the whole time the Gentiles are there, but the Jews are not. The Jews had to get down to the Gentiles' level and stop the whole knowledge thing. Because... Paul's already said in Romans chapter 3, for there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, both the Jews and the Gentiles. were all in the same boat, yet they saw themselves as being superior. Verse 4, it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness 
to everyone who believes. Since Moses wrote about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. He's literally quoted Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. He's talking about this being the product of outward living. It's, it's literally backwards from what God intended. If you live by the law of righteousness, it's dependent upon you doing it. And you never attain righteousness. If you live by the faith righteousness, then it's him doing it and works will occur. Verse 6 says, But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, Who will go up to heaven? That's, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 14 right here. He's like, Who will go up to heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul's literally using these Old Testament passages saying, You can't physically bring salvation from heaven or from below. Jesus Christ has already done that. You can't do it physically. Who could do this? Verse 8, he says, On the contrary, what does it say? Same passage, Deuteronomy. The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. So where they're concerned about the outward product of things, Paul's more concerned about the, the inward. The same thing that Moses wrote in Deuteronomy. It's about the heart that matters. What is in your heart? We, you constantly hear us in this, from this stage is, as a group of people, we're learning how to live out of a new heart. And then verse 8 continues. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. <laughs> that's a verse that's been distorted over the years because we've all been taught that you actually have to say something similar to this phrase to receive salvation. Well, that's not what it said in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham. It said Abraham believed. If it's by faith alone, then us saying Jesus is Lord is a work. So how do you make sense of that passage of Scripture? It's our belief alone that Jesus saves us. And the byproduct of us receiving salvation from Jesus is us saying Jesus is Lord. It's natural once you've had your old heart taken out and replaced with a new heart. You've had your sinful nature taken out. You've replaced with a new nature. It's natural for you to talk about Jesus and say, yeah, he's Lord. Verse 10 says this, One believes with the heart. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Again, that outward confession stems from a profound inward conviction. Like when it changes, it changes your words that come out of your mouth. Verse 11, for the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. He quoted Isaiah 28, 16 again, back from the end of chapter 9. And it says, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord 
of all richly blesses all who call on him. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Didn't say for God so loved the Jews. It said for God so loved the world. And then that last verse, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, it's not a fact that you're calling on the name of the Lord. That's the natural byproduct. He's literally quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 32, when Joel says, this is what's going to happen. All those people that are talking about Jesus and believing in Jesus, those are the ones that are saved. That's them. Now let me show you a comparison real quick of what he's just talked about in these last 16 verses. He's talked about the law of righteousness versus this faith righteousness. And in the law of righteousness, it was only for the Jews. He sent them the law, lived by the law. But for those who have faith righteousness, it says, for whosoever, like it's available to all people, for whosoever. And then the second thing is, you can click through that, there you go. The second thing is the law of righteousness, it's based on works. You're going to do everything according to the law. This is what the Lord says that you have to do. But Paul's like saying, no, this comes by faith alone. It's not based upon works. The law of righteousness says this is all about self-righteousness. The faith righteousness says, no, this is because God has made you righteous. It's God's righteousness. The law of righteousness says you can't get saved by the law. But the faith righteousness, it brings salvation. The law of righteousness says obey the Lord. But the faith righteousness says call on the Lord, depend on the Lord. The law of righteousness, it leads to pride. But faith righteousness, it glorifies God. So all that was done in the old covenant, that's the law of righteousness, and it couldn't be attained. The Jews were still trying to attain it. The Gentiles believed, and it was all by faith. And because of their faith, they were able to call Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Last week, when we did the Lord's Supper, kind of bounced around the room and talked about where you got saved. And as I walked outside, I walked outside, I was met by one gentleman that said, man, I thought you might call on me and ask me when I got saved. And I would have told you two weeks ago. You talk about being excited. It just naturally came out. It just naturally came out because there was a heart change there. I, I didn't have to ask for it. It just naturally came out. And so I thought that that was a pretty cool experience. That today, that's literally how I want to end the day. I'd just like to hear from some of you. How'd you come to know the Lord? 
how'd you come to know the Lord? I'm ending it on that. On you. Don't make me call on you. Because I will. Yeah. Tell me your name. Oh, yeah, tell me your name. Uh, my name is Michael Freestone. So Matt Tolley invited me to the Crossroads Great Banquet 2016. Uh, February 21st is when I gave my life to Christ. You, yeah, you. We can just applaud for most everybody in the room here. But uh, <laughs> So you remember like the specific day and, and time. Oh, yeah. That's life-changing, so can't really forget it. Right on. Like we asked, we asked Phil. Am I still on up here? Uh, we asked Phil, and you didn't have a specific day, did you? No, I was being raised in a church that was pretty muddy in terms of it was pretty muddy in terms of just when, but um, it was sometime in my mid twenties. Uh, I I looked back and said, yeah, I know him. A specific day, not a specific day. It was a realization that I had all that information, but I don't know when I came to know him exactly. But I knew I knew him. I I know I'm his. I don't know a date. It's all good. Yeah. You have to tell him your name. I'm kind of in the mic in front of the speaker, so we'll be careful. My name is Linda Brown, and we grew up in the Catholic Church. And um, we went to church because our parents brought us, and we went through all the, all the catechism classes and stuff. And about the age of 13, my parents went through a divorce, and we were all kind of struggling as a family. And everyone stopped going to church. And I started going again because I had a crush on Morgan Patterson, who was an altar boy. And he was... really an attractive young man in his white and so I would go every Sunday I was the only one in the family and I'd sit in the front pew and watch Morgan Patterson and as I sat there I learned to um, through the priest and through the words and through the Holy Spirit I learned to depend on Christ on my own again wow that's pretty cool thank you Morgan Patterson that's a good word uh, there, there's a lot of people that go to church to uh, to date, so yeah, it's uh, kind of a big deal. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, Mindy. So tell me um, your name, Mindy Campbell. And um, as a child, my dad, who's visiting today, Gary Beaver, he always had Billy Graham on TV, always. And I remember um, laying on our couch, and, and the door was open, and the wind was coming in, and Billy Graham on TV had an altar call, and I just remember closing my eyes there and praying, laying on the couch. I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine, eight, probably eight years old, and just prayed to receive Christ at that time. So. I guess they were singing just as I am. Oh, probably. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. How many of you came to know uh, Christ because of Billy Graham? Was there anybody else in here? I know, like, uh, Glenn Christie, that's his testimony, too. He was at Billy Graham Crusade the first time he came to Indianapolis. Anybody else? Yeah, Jordan. You're in front of that speaker. So, uh, I came to know Christ when I was 16. Like, that's, that's when I received salvation. I came to really know Christ in 2008 at Sunrise Cafe with my friend. When he asked me a question that I'd read and never really thought of, we'd been hanging out for a long time at that point, and he said, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you remember that or not. I absolutely remember it. But that was my life from 1996 up until 2008. And in 2008, when Rusty asked me that question, I finally understood that I didn't have to live under this law of righteousness, that I was already righteous. And that's really when my relationship became my life. And uh, I bawled, and Rusty left. And I sat in Sunrise Cafe for a, for a little while afterwards. And... and on that path. Well, I, I think too, Jordan, uh, as I was sitting there, I just had this revelation about that passage of scripture, you know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We've always taught that it's about, well, don't sin because you're making him mad. And the fact that uh, at, that, at this point, you knew the Bible so well and you knew what we taught here at Levener so well that you you know were teaching it in small groups and stuff like that yet you were having a hard time appropriating it for your own yeah. life yeah. you couldn't make it work and my heart was broken I was grieving for you because you knew it here yeah. and I'm like that's why the spirit grieves he's like done everything for us and it's like we still can't figure it out, but you've come a long way, baby. Yeah. It's good stuff. Love you. I love you. Someone else. I like hearing your stories. Cameron, calling you out. Standing back there. I'm coming to you. He's thinking about it. Angela's laughing. Yeah, he's like, there's a door right here. Thank you, Rusty. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think I can get through the whole story, but um, 2009 um, probably was, was the year. I don't remember the exact date. So one of our one of our friends was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer, and just a great Christian and great example. Uh, when she found out, basically she was going to die, uh, she said a prayer for us, and just just really showed the strength and love that I think um, only comes from knowing who Jesus is. So uh, that's uh, 
that was the example that, that brought me to Jesus. So. That's a good word. What did she say? Which Angela's word? trying to pull more out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get rid of this thing fast enough. Uh, Do you remember? You tell it. Well, that, that she loved you, but so did Jesus. And that was obviously where she got her strength from. And if she was so concerned about how we were dealing with her impending death, but she was, she was good with it because she knew where she was going. She wanted to make sure we were okay, which I think is that strength that is so awe-inspiring. How is that even possible? That made him realize, well, she loves me and Jesus loves me. I'm all good. Right. That's it. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Anybody else? Yeah. I'm Amy Nicholas. So, um, September of 94, I was five. No, I was in my 20s. Um, Mike and I were living in Chicago, and we were not together. We had dated several years. We were broken up at the time. We were amicable, and he had accepted Christ um, several months prior to that through his brother sharing with him. And I always had the head knowledge, but I just, because I grew up Catholic, so I had information, but didn't have a personal relationship. And just really saw some things in Mike that were really beautiful, some changes, and it was making me you know, be interested in learning more about that. And he just shared really the gospel with me. And what struck me was he said, you know, I believe that we are meant to be together, but whether or not that happens, I really want you to know Christ. And I could tell he really meant that. And um, so it's just a heart decision for me. And then we ended up later being baptized together, which was really cool too. I did mean it, yet, you know, I was kind of <laughs> playing both sides, but, uh, uh, <laughs> no, but, but I really did mean it, of course. Um, the, the cool thing that led up to it, uh, she mentioned my oldest brother, Phil, witnessed to me. We had broken up. I was in a kind of a partying lifestyle, had been for years, and he, he shared with me the gospel over and over and over again soaking it up long distance via phone. He's in Miami. I'm in Chicago. And he sensed my hesitancy and ultimately was like, you know, what is it? I said, I don't know. He's, I, he said, are you afraid you're going to mess up? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're, you're going to. Are you willing to be willing? And that, that question was awesome. That kind of put me, you know, like, yeah, I'm willing to be willing. He'll take care of the rest. And, and that, you know, kind of launched a, a cool journey. So... Uh, Dale Speckman. Um, I came to know Christ when I was like probably nine or ten at Northside Baptist, um, but didn't really fully understand what I was doing. So, like you, great banquet a couple, three years ago, totally changed my life and realized what that actually means. And now I have a, a real relationship with Christ, and it's been awesome. Still remember our top golf conversation Dell was all excited about his decision to pursue the Lord he's like I'm going to start visiting churches 
see, see where the Lord wants. He's telling me this conversation. <laughs> see where I should go. See where the Lord's leading me to go. You know, that I could use my... And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about going to a gym. <laughs> some gym and have some... <laughs> some meathead tell me how to... Be, get my uh, life together. Remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> that, yes, that was... I'm still embarrassed about that. <laughs> that, was a great, that was a great story. I loved it. Uh, no, no. I called on you because... Uh, I called on you because one of the greatest people I know is your mother whose birthday is this Wednesday. And... Uh, I just know what an influence your mom had on on you and me, and uh, she's she's hanging out with with Anna McCord today, so that's cool. And your dad's birthday this week too. Sure is. I'm on it. Anybody else? Yeah. I guess. Uh, Tell me your name. Uh, I'm Dave. Dave Giacomo. Uh, grew up Catholic all the way. And uh, about this sometime, I don't know, five plus years ago, I had uh, gone through a divorce and uh, had uh, decided to kind of reorganize my life, you know, figure out priorities and, you know, get my head straight. And decided that, um, you know, I'd been on the earth 50 plus years. I'd never read essentially the oldest book on the planet. And I thought, you know, the the very least I can do is read the Bible. What if I die tomorrow and I never read the Bible? You know, what an idiot. Uh, and so uh, I started reading every morning, started from chapter 1 and started working my way through, and the Old Testament was horrifying. But uh, I remember 10,000 bulls and 40,000 sheep in a day just slaughtered, and I thought, what is going on? But what was really cool is that as soon as I started, I didn't tell anybody, um, I was just in my apartment, just reading every morning. Um, things started changing. It was miraculous. Everything in the world started changing. And then, you know, I uh, I was going to church. Uh, I was just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. But next thing I know, you got Matt Tully stopping his car in the middle of the road going, Dave Giacomo, where you been? And invited me to his Bible study class. And I remember being terrified because I grew up Catholic. I was not used to talking about Jesus in front of other men. You know, it was just terrifying, the thought of talking about God and Jesus. And it took me like three months to finally work up the nerve to go. And uh, and when I did, I never looked back. I mean, it was the greatest thing ever. And um, But it's just interesting what's changed in my life. You know, I actually have an incredible relationship with Jesus. I mean, I, I, I will tell you that some mornings I wake up and... And just tell Jesus, okay, just guide me today, because I know this is going to be a hard day. Just guide me. And it's amazing. Everything has changed in my whole life. It's just, just I don't know how to describe it, but um, it's just been the greatest thing ever happened to me. So, anyways. We could literally go on for days in this room about what Christ has done and the stories that... Um, are in this room, and I'm thankful to be a part of it. Just know this. It's by faith we are saved, not by works. Take a breath. Relax. 
Oh, you'll be busy. You'll be busy, but it'll be him doing it through you. So, Father, that's my prayer today is that we continue to study your word, that we continue to, to know what your ultimate plan is. And as we sit here and dance with you on a daily basis, that we can trust you in the midst of failure, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of just corruption of this world, that we can rejoice and we can be a light, fruit of the Spirit work through us, and you use us in a mighty way like like we've never understood. So thank you for uh, us being your bride, your church. Thank you for choosing us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.